coming to you live to tape from quarantine. This is the Indie Ball Report Podcast. So we are back again, the second episode from quarantine, probably the second of many to come from this setup. Again, we will be using the over the phone function for my co-host here. Oh, yeah. Until we wind up getting out of quarantine, it's going to be that method. And we are talking to some people to have some more people on to kind of spice things up. So we'll have to figure that system out uh, as to how we're actually going to do that. Or if it's just going to be one of us doing the interview while the other one's just not there. And then talking about it afterwards, we'll figure something out in that system. But that's for down the road. And really what the main topics of today are. As you could probably guess, more coronavirus talk, because I'm sure we all haven't heard nearly enough about that yet. Then we also got some dates on tryouts, a field upgrade or reveneration, if you prefer that term. Uh, then we got some Pecos League talk, including a little bit of a squabble that's going on between the Pecos League and some scouting leagues. And then, of Ooh. course, an update to our March Madness bit. But first off, let's keep going with our COVID-19 binge. All right. So I wonder if we're going to start calling COVID-19 because we're going to have to do 19 episodes of this. And I really hope that's not the case because that's nearly five months of doing it like this. And it's just going to be just so terrible. And also, I mean, oh, it'd be great if we didn't have to do that. I mean, you know, if we keep this to a solid one, two months, I'd be a happy, happy camper. Exactly. And I think that's a great place to jump in here because I've seen because we do have a little bit of an indie ball uh, group chat going on Instagram here for it's like, oh, when do we think the season's going to start? Because a lot of them are Frontier League people. I'm like, guys. You, we're going to be lucky if this thing gets going by Memorial Day. We're looking like May, June, the beginning of June as like a best possible outcome here. It's far yeah. more likely that we're like in middle of June here, end of June, in my my opinion here. Because it seems like every day it's like, okay, I guess it's going to go on for an extra week now. It just seems like it keeps getting worse all the time. And I understand we're still roughly two weeks behind where Italy's at and they're a decent comparable for us. So if we're two weeks behind them with the troubles they're having, or you're, we're really going to need to strap in here because it's going to get really bad before it gets better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think early June uh, is really optimistic. I think, uh, you know, late, late June, early July is probably when a lot of these leagues, if they do get off the ground, this season will be getting off the ground. Obviously this has been an unprecedented situation, say maybe the Spanish flu in 1918. But other than that, I think this is something that we certainly haven't seen in my lifetime or your lifetime. Uh, and maybe some of our listeners uh, have never seen anything like this before. Most of them, I would I think it'll be very interesting to see how these leagues handle it. I think it will say a lot about organizational structure within the teams themselves and certainly organizational structure within the leagues themselves that allow them to really take the bull by the horns and show some leadership in this rather difficult situation. Exactly. You bring up a good point with leagues starting, and that brings us to our first uh, real major news bit of the day, the first of the first of what I assume will be many indie leagues announced that their season will be postponed, and that comes from the Atlantic League, from which we do have their statement, and I'll pull that up right now, and I'll read that, but it really should come as no real surprise to people that this was coming. I mean, it really was more or less a matter of time than anything else before leagues started to get suspended, and here is the statement. It comes from Rick White, and this was announced on March 16th, so what would that be? Tuesday, not Tuesday, Monday, this came out. 
from Rick White. The CDC recommendation that organizers cancel or postpone in-person events consisting of 50 or more people for the next eight weeks has made it clear that the Atlantic League's opening day of April 30th will be delayed. The ALPB professional tryout minicamp has also been postponed. As the coronavirus pandemic evolves, the ALPB remains focused to the health and well-being of our neighbors, fans, players, umpires, and employees. When these challenging circumstances pass, we look forward to welcoming fans to our ballpark, putting smiles on their faces, and creating lifelong memories. An announcement regarding the ALPB's 2020 championship season schedule will be made at a future date on all team and Atlantic League websites and official social media platforms. Please refer to the Prospect Dugout website for further news about the about the tryout camp. Schedule decisions will be based on the Atlantic League continuing to monitor news, public information sources, including the CDC, World Health Organization, and state and local health departments for communities that we are proud to be a part of. So, it appears for at least the next eight weeks, this is going to be the case that we're not going to have Atlantic League baseball unless something drastic changes here and it's a borderline miracle happens. Uh, May 16th will be the soonest start date, but like we've just been saying, even that seems to be a bit uh, pie in the sky. I mean, I think this is, again, kind of the statement that you know Rick White needed to make. The Atlantic League needed to make this type of statement. They needed to postpone things for now. Obviously, they don't want to say the beginning of July or the end of June earliest. They're not going to say something like that. They're going to say May 16th. They're going to say eight weeks. And then they're going to wait the eight weeks or, you know, six of the eight weeks and see what happens. Yeah, and reevaluate. Yep, and reevaluate. I think this is going to be something that is a fluid situation, uh, but is in all likelihood going to be a very difficult situation moving forward. I hope that the Atlantic League really is able to pull itself together and get through this and have some type of a season. Uh, but I don't know at this point, you know, there's so many variables that go into this, not only, okay, you know, when it's legally, you know, allowed or when the, the, go- the state or federal government, you have that recommendation this. that they go like, it's safe enough. Now you could do it. Right. But it's, it's, will you get, people back into the stands in june when you might not you know when you might have more people being comfortable to get back into the stands in july uh so the the real question is can they do it can they get this done uh and what does it look like when it happens those those things are so up in the air right now it's not even uh you know logical to speculate a guess on it because there's so much variable into it and it all depends on what the state and local governments decide to do. And also it has a huge ramifications on how the numbers of cases go up. And if we are able to flatten the curve, if you flatten the curve, uh, you're able to uh, keep those numbers down through social, social isolation and, and social distancing. If that's able to occur, then you'll have some really uh, effective, uh, you know, techniques, techniques in place to hopefully make this, a little bit more tenable for these leagues but if it doesn't happen and the numbers continue to rise at such a precipitous rate i think you've got a, a real problem on your hands exactly and that that was announcement was made before we went to what seems like uh, drastic measures in new york with essentially a shelter in place stay at home don't go out unless you need food or medicine order in new york there and i gotta imagine it's coming in new jersey soon and then from there it's going to transfer from state to state to state so i gotta imagine it's gonna be longer than the eight weeks on that front and it's just going to get worse and then i think 
I was hitting on something that you were just hitting on now last week with uh, people are going to be skittish to go back out to the ballpark. It's That's just the reality of the situation. They're going to see a large crowd. They're going to have this fresh in their mind, and they're going to go, do I really want to go to a minor league baseball game right now after this you know, pandemic just got over? Is it really over, or is this just like a lull? Have we just hit the eye of the storm? It, it's going to create that presence here. And like you said, it may take an extra month for people to finally get comfortable going out and doing things again. Or maybe like you were saying last week, where there's just this giant built up frustration. And after, you know, two, three months of isolation, people like just go, I need to go out and do something now. You I can- think there'll be both, uh, you yeah. know, kind of looking at it from a more of a pulled back perspective and realizing the gravity of the situation. I think at first, at least the first couple of weeks, there will be kind of a slow, gradual trickle people getting out, but still kind of skittish about things as you're suggesting. However, I do think once people decide to come out, once there is this social decision to get outside and that it's socially acceptable because anybody who's going out now is, you know, for the most part, rightfully being shunned and saying you shouldn't do that. You mean I shouldn't go spring spring breaking in Clearwater? Yes. Yes. No spring breaking in Clearwater. That is not a good idea. Uh, But I'm just, I'm just got to go with it, man. Just like you got to live your life. uh, Those kids are so, so silly. Um, But yeah, I, I think that able to, once people are able to socially kind of get over this uh and it's socially acceptable to get back out and the government says it's acceptable to get back out you will see people going out en masse but it it is like you said i think there is going to be a short period i think it's gonna be a very short period but a certainly a period will exist of uh people being very tentative to go out in again what is going to be kind of new territory what is the world going to look like when this a veil of coronavirus is lifted. We have no idea. So I think, you know, it's going to be on the, the onus is going to be on these clubs to say, we've wiped everything down. We have cleaned everything. This is going to be a very safe, we've made this as safe as possible for you to come into our ballpark and enjoy a game um, without too much worry of community spread or, you know, hopefully in a few months, no worry of community spread. Uh, again, I think that's thinking optimistically, but that is my hope anyway. But I think uh, that is going to be on the onus of the teams to, to really get out there and market and say, you've been trapped in your house for X number of weeks, months, uh, days. Let's kind of get everything going here so and i think like you're saying it's going to be a mixture of the two uh not just necessarily one or the other i certainly have uh moved on that position clearly since last week just because the enormity of the situation has even grown since last week exactly it's at this point it's unavoidable to to not see that there's going to be people that are going to be sketched there and you're right is it's more i think it's more on the clubs less to say that look it's a clean it's a sterile environment now as much as we could possibly make it we we made it that because I think that's kind of a given at this point. I think it's going to be a lot of creating that optic at the ballpark, more or less, to just kind of create the mindset of people that okay, that it is clean. Whether that is, you know, leaving out a bunch of different hand sanitizers and hand wipes, like maybe putting out like the the kind of Lysol Purell wipe at like the top of each of the sections, so that way you could clean it up, clean up the seat and everything, so that way you could physically see yourself doing it, or just at least give the appearance of that, and then have various hand sanitizers around the ballpark too. I think that goes a long way for the mental aspect of it. More than that, though, I think you also have to really 
step up that kind of uh, promotional aspect of this and find ways to get people to the ballpark because now more than ever you're going to have that problem because I mean you're going to even see you know major league sports have these issues of getting people to the ballpark now obviously you know it's going to be a lot easier for you know the Knicks or the Yankees or you know the Red Wings or whatever team it is, the Jets, to get fans into their stadiums. That's going to be obviously a lot easier than, you know, the Patriots or, you know, the Boomers or whatever your local team is. But you're going to need to kind of ante up that promotion, whether that be, you know, saying, oh, look at this new guy we got that everybody knows, whether it's look at this cool, you know, like I said, promotion or giveaway or whatever it may be. They're yep. going to need to find more creative ways to get people into the ballpark and make it so, you know, you go, well, I really want to go and see that. It's worth the risk to me. They're going to need to I do agree. something like that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. That makes so much sense to me. You really need to be able to have the uh, organizational structure in place to say, here's this new marketing campaign, and then it's going to target people to get back out to the ballpark. Uh, that's telling them you've been cooped up in the house for X number of months and you need to really get out there because of this, this, or this. Uh, you need to see this. This is something that will really reinvigorate you after such a difficult period. And I know people are going through, you know, really difficult things uh, mentally and, and other things right now. Um, but, it, you know, obviously, uh, public health is the most important thing at this moment in time, uh, but it will be important for people to get out back out there eventually once this passes. And so I think they'll really have an opportunity to do so, but only like you're saying, if they're able to capitalize that on that and make it something so that people are comfortable coming back, both that psychological aspect of, okay, so here's uh, hand sanitizer, here's hand wipes throughout the ballpark but also important things like you're saying with here's a giveaway here's why you should come to the ballpark remember this is an important part of your community and you want it to continue to exist uh once this is completely in the rearview mirror in a year or so so i think that is certainly something that i will have to be looking out for as well 100 percent there and i think and i just want to point out too that only the atlantic league so far has officially formally announced that they have uh you know, suspended their season, or not suspended it, but postponed it, delayed it, whatever terminology you want to use. It's not going to start on schedule. Uh, as far as the Frontier League and American Association go, they're still holding firm that a mid-May start date, I believe, Frontier League is May 14th, and the American Association, I believe, is about May 22nd, I want to say, are the official dates. For the start there, which they may have a realistic bit. I don't see any way the Frontier League starts on time, though. I think, like I said, uh, this is going to go on longer than that. And same thing goes for the American Association. So I got to imagine sooner or later they're going to have to make that announcement. Uh, and both of those leagues have canceled their tryout camps. Or, well, that's not entirely accurate. The American Association has canceled their tryout camp. The Frontier League... Their official one, I believe, has been postponed indefinitely. I know the one that was combined between Evansville and Juliet, or Joliet, that tryout got pushed back to April 19th for right now, and it's only going to be players, coaches, and essential staff there. I got to imagine that's going to get pushed back again because I, I don't see in a month from now this situation being too much better than where we're at right now, if not worse. Um, I, yeah, most likely worse on that count. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, again, these leagues are gonna have to. They're gonna have to move it. To, they're gonna have to move. Yeah, it. there's no way around that. But they're uh, gonna have to move everything. The start of the season, all of that 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 is gonna be moved for the most ardent 
Frontier League and American Association fans, I'm sorry to say it's going to be moved. Um, it's just the way things are have trended in the past few weeks. It's going to have to happen. Unfortunately, we don't want to see this as fans of independent league baseball. We understand how this affects owners and teams, but the entire society has sacrificed, and that sacrifice is certainly going to have to be felt in a few weeks to months here. Um, by our counterparts and our associates in the independent league. It's just how this happens. Um, these independent leagues are really the backbone of baseball in America. And, uh, you know, so goes the independent leagues. Oftentimes, so goes baseball. But unfortunately, we're having a serious, one of the most serious things that I can ever remember happen to this country. And they're going to have to feel the impact similarly to everybody else. And then I just got a couple of various statements from various teams that I'm going to read real quick. And then I want to kind of talk about what you, you think the Atlantic League should at least do for their season. So I'll give you a second to think about while I read these statements here. Uh, first one's from Kansas City, the T-Bones, uh, American Association Club. Uh, COVID-19 has rocked the sports world, just as it is with many, in, with many other industries and businesses. While we at the Kansas City T-Bones are uncertain of what the future may hold, many teams and leagues will continue to be adversely impacted by the disruption of, of the sports landscape. Community is at the heart of the Kansas City T-Bones, and with the concerns about COVID-19 pandemic, we want you to know that the health and safety of the T-Bones fans, teams, and employees are is our top priority. We are continuing to work with the unified government on stadium renovations and have ticket sales online for regular scheduled opening day, May 19th. Mark Brandmeier, principal owner of the T-Bones, further commented, while we are incredibly excited about the upcoming season, it takes a backseat to our concerns with the impact of COVID-19 and how it's affected our community. To that end, we are working hard to make sure that when we are finally ready to play ball, our operations will run smoothly and safely for fans and teams alike. Going forward, we will use our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and website, tbones.com or tbonesbaseball.com, to share any, uh, any key updates. We echo the thoughts of the American Association in the recent press release on March 13th, 2020. Stay safe and hope we see you soon. Uh, then we also have one not directly from the Milwaukee Milkman, but from the group that does own them, uh, particularly Michael Zimmerman. Just kind of goes into great detail about it. It basically echoes the same sentiments. I could go through and read it again, but long and short, as it reads through how everything's all suspended, that these steps are not an overreaction that are being taken, you know, the suspending various things and how we're, everything's waiting and seeing currently on schedule. And, uh, you get the kind of deal that's at. Basically, we're not going to rush into any sort of a decision or anything, but. You know, we're going to make the smart decision. We're going to follow the lead of what everybody's telling us to do. So it's that kind of vote there. And then Quebec yep. also issued a statement earlier, the Frontier League team that was Can-Am. Uh, and what that echoed was that weekly the Frontier League is meeting all 14 teams on a teleconference and they're discussing and then they're updating, kind of figuring out what their plan is. That's a weekly thing. But again, they're still planning for their scheduled opening day to be, well, their opening day. So, again, kind of wait and see there. Yeah, I mean, this is, again, one of those things where, you know, each team has to go through and pick this out and decide for themselves what they're going to do. Um, a lot of teams are going to do this and send out their press releases that say pretty much the same thing because that's the only thing that can be said, right? I mean, there's not too much wiggle room here other than 
the you know we agree with the league and we're going to do what's safe for fans and we're going to continue with that sentiment over and over again because there's really nothing else to say the only other thing um the only other option right now is to say well you know we're going to you know try to go with everything as planned which clearly as we've talked about for the past few minutes is not going to work uh it's not going to work just because of how you know, kind of out of proportion, this has gotten, this is the, the response to this is so massive that the, you know, largest city in the world, the city that never sleeps or one, excuse me, one of the largest cities in the world, the city that never sleeps, uh, New York city is pretty much, uh, on lockdown. And so you have these kind of things in place where, this the country itself is in complete lockdown and so these teams are going to have to follow suit no matter what they want this is not how the t-bones out of the gate wanted to start with this new ownership group they did not want to start this way uh but there's no other option at this point uh that they can see and so it was a smart statement again a very well-crafted statement um and really the only statement that you could put out during these extremely difficult times Exactly. And I think uh, we've talked enough about the general ramification of it, but I think the nuts and bolts aspect is what's going to be kind of interesting and give us a little bit of a different twist to it here. And that's talking about how the Atlantic League is going to proceed, seeing as we know for certain that their schedule is now you know, going to have to be condensed. I don't see any way 126 game schedule is going to get played, even if you do pick up in that uh, end of May, beginning of June period, which I think we're both kind of in agreement, looking more like middle to end of June, beginning of July is more likely here. Yep. Yeah, I think, I'm not sure about you, but my general thought here is what they should do, or at the very least should consider, is going to a 90-game schedule, just saying have one half, don't do, you know, two halves like they traditionally do, and then just say, okay, the winner of each division, you're playing for the championship this year. I think, and just extend that to make it a seven-game series. I think that's kind of the better option here. Again, it's one of those deals where you don't want to see half the, already off the bat, I'm not a huge fan of their playoff system where half the league gets in. I don't think that's necessarily the best system. Realistically speaking, you just kind of want to put something together. And 90 games and one long playoff series, I think, is the fairest way of doing it. Plus, in their mind, the one thing I think they really, really, really don't want to lose is their all-star game. Because if you do lose that, you're going to have to wind up pushing it back. Uh, I imagine Southern Maryland will get the option to have it in 2021 then. It would just be fair to them. I got to imagine that's got to be the system. I think they can do something like starting with the all-star game, right? Uh, hmm. You know, do like a, a fan vote and have... I was thinking about that the other night, that they could kind of use the all-star game as their giant kickoff event. Like, hey, look, here's all the guys. That's what I would do. The, the MLB did that, I think, in the 80s. Um, it might have been in the 90s. I'm not sure. Uh, when there was a lockout, uh, they yeah, started... probably would have been the, 94 strike year. Probably would have been 95 like then. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was that year or earlier, but they started with a uh, with the All Star our game, and and that would probably be the way that I would go. I think that ultimately would be a successful path for them, um, because clearly, if if things don't start at a certain point, 
then you have to shorten it. I think doing half the season, like you're saying, makes a lot of sense. 90 games, start with an all-star game, kick everything off the festivities in Southern Maryland, lets everybody get comfortable with the idea that baseball has returned, that independent league baseball has returned, and Atlantic League baseball has returned. And then you start off with the All-Star Game in Southern Maryland. Everybody is really uh, excited about this, very entertained, very jazzed about this. And then you kind of start off from there, and that would make a lot of sense to me. As with the the one, the two-team playoff, I'm not sure if that's the best way to do it. I don't know if there's a good way to do it, given the fact that the season would be so shortened. See, um, that, that's my maybe, logic there. Mike, I'm going to cut you off you real quick. Maybe you go to a four team. But, you know, maybe you go with the top two teams from each division. I don't know. I don't do think it. that's going to work, though, because, again, that's how they normally do their structure here. But if you're going to 90 games, you're not... I understand you're losing some games from basically all of May. You're losing all of June. Then if you start the All-Star game, you're probably to get 90 games in, you're going to have to really condense that schedule and you're going to have to go into October. That's just the reality of the situation. And so if you're going to say, okay, you have, let's even just say you have all of July, just to make the math simple. You have July, you have August, you have September. So you have 90 days right there, roughly. So if you have your 90 days there, you're not playing them 90 days in a row, which means you're going to have to probably go two weeks into October which is past the date that you would normally have the last possible game of the championship series played. So if you're not starting your postseason until like October 10th, October 14th, because you had to account for those days off and those travel days that you have to, you're going to have to give these teams, then if you figure at least bare minimum a week per divisional round or divisional championship series, that's one extra week, so now you're in about October 21, October 17, that general range, and then you have your championship series on top of that. You're pushing around Halloween, and once you get that deep in, not only are you fighting the World Series for just other baseball stuff, you're fighting now college football, you're fighting NFL football, you're fighting the start of hockey season, you're fighting the start of basketball season, you're fighting a lot of stuff in that time slot there. Plus, well, I mean, everything's probably go- a lot of things will get pushed back as a result of this as well. So it's not just yeah, but the, the football I mean, season's not going to be pushed back. Be, you probably, I mean, football might be pushed back. You're not going to have I, the time. Maybe college football, I'll grant you, but certainly NFL. You want to have the OTAs, things like that. Week one could get pushed back. I, uh, I highly doubt that. The NFL might gonna- not. Who knows? But what I will say is that football might not get pushed back. Baseball is going to get pushed back. Uh, hockey is going to get pushed back. All of it will be pushed back. Um, I see. Well, off the bat, but as far as hockey World goes, they've set out right. We'll cancel the rest of the 1920 season so that way 2021 doesn't get affected. Well, so. if they do that, then obviously. No, that's a different <laughs> different set of circumstances there. Uh, so you might be battling hockey, but you certainly MLB will not. Uh, you know, the the World Series just won't be on the same timeline. It's definitely going to get pushed back into November, um, as it has been before. Um, but so yeah, I mean, I think that it, again, you're probably right that it needs to be done wrapped up in a in a very short amount of time. It probably needs to be one series. Um, obviously, nobody really wants to see that. You'd rather have more teams and create more chaos and have the underdog possibility and all that stuff. But I think you're certainly right that that would be a difficult situation situation to really prolong this uh too much further than it can be so really one one 
kind of short series, or even one elongated series wouldn't be uh, a bad thing. I think all of it is up in the air, and it all depends on when things start and if things start, right? I mean, you know, that is also a variable in this as well. Does the Atlantic League decide, you know, it's July 31st, there's no point in running this season, we'll start up again next year, that's a possibility. I don't think... That's a, I, I think it's, I don't want to say it's not a possibility because obviously it's on the table, but I think that would be just so damaging to so many different teams that that is like the ultimate last resort thing. I think they'd rather play a 50 game season than not to have no season at all, to be quite honest. Because if you look oh, at, I, I agree, I agree, but I think, you know, it depends when you, once you get to a certain point, as you're saying, these things become difficult, but from the standpoint of playoffs, if we get the 90 game season, you know, you have playoff start. I think having playoff start um, and doing a, a one kind of team or, you know, two team playoff scenario, two division winners really would be something that would be beneficial um, for, for both uh, the league and the fans, because you just aren't going to have the same type of fan support that you're talking about um, if you do the two. But of course, teams and, and players are going to want to want to hear you say well we're going to do um you know two from both division uh divisions which would be a lot better from a a competition standpoint but i mean there's only so much you can do yeah. uh, moving that, forward that, this. that and the fact that what you're going to run into a problem if you have this run on too long just disregarding the obvious factors like weather i mean you have a team from you know the general northern new jersey pennsylvania region it's cold in the end of november in the end of october uh you also have to factor in a lot of those guys go and play winter ball so how much how much are they going to be game to say okay i'll finish out the season here and then immediately have a quick turnaround going out to new zealand or out to australia or down to south america to go play winter ball starting like the second week in november third week in november I mean, that, that's a quick right. turnaround. I, mean, I for think them. there's a ways to do it, right? You can make a really two really short series. Um, uh, I, there's ways to do it, but I mean, when it comes to playoffs, I honestly rather just have one round of seven games, best of seven, than I would have two best of threes or two or a best of three and a best of five, like it's traditional around here. But I, I mean, you know, so uh, that's preference. Uh, I think some people would rather that. I, I also would rather that. I think that is a more fair situation and reflects, especially in baseball, kind of the ebbs and flows of things in baseball. But uh, of course, the leagues want more revenue, and you're going to get more revenue from two series than one. Um, so just for that fact, you might have two short well, series. It, de- it depends on how long those series are, though, because if you have two series out of three games each. The seven-game series is obviously going to mean more to them. If it's three and five even, they may just say, let's go seven. It'd be easier. Plus, it also depends on availability of the stadiums, too. That also is something you have to factor in. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, the availability of stadiums, how long it'll go. You know, if you do two, three-game series, it goes just as, you know, it could go just as long as a seven-game series uh, or not too much longer. So I think, you know, you can do something like that. Will the Atlantic League do that? Probably not. I think the the one long seven-game series would probably be more up their alley, uh, more what is something that could make more sense to me anyway during this time period. However, we'll have to wait and see on that as 
you know, there's a lot of variables, as we've been saying over and over again with all of this, especially if there is going to be some type of playoff baseball. Exactly. And obviously, like you said, it's, you just kind of got to wait it out and see. And obviously, everything depends on how this pandemic progresses. If it progresses poorly and, you know, we don't peak until, you know, the middle to end of April, then obviously a lot more seasons become in doubt. If it peaks sooner than we expect and we see the curve kind of level off towards the end of April, maybe it begins sooner than we think. But it, it all depends on that. How it progresses is how we progress. So we'll keep our eye on that. But I think after about 33 minutes of pandemic talk, I think people are just about sick and tired of it. And yes, I understand the pun of that. But I think we can kind of shift gears to uh, Boss Field now. They're getting some upgrades and we could talk about that a little bit. Uh, as we all know, Boss Field is the well, rather historic, older ballpark that the Evansville Otters play out of. And it's been desperate need for some of uh, some, as we know, they're called reveneration's as of late. And, <laughs> uh, and of those uh, renovations, they're going to be getting new LED lights, a new interior to the gift shop, and then a new brick wall behind home plate, and then down the first and third base lines. They're going to get the brick walls put in, so it'll look nicer, it'll re-update that. They're also getting a 20 by 36 foot video board put in, so that's going to be nice, of course. And the LEDs are both just like standard concourse lighting, but also some cooler, uh, more stanchion lighting that they could do light shows and whatnot with. So that'll be cool for them there. But yeah, now the, the historic ballpark is getting a little bit of a facelift after this time. Yeah, that's always a good thing. I really like that they're doing this. This is a smart move. Again, you've got to, especially like we're saying, coming out of this pandemic, you've got to have a reason for people to go to the ballpark. And this is a phenomenal one. People are going to want to go to the ballpark now. Again, it's modest renovations, right? We're not dealing with a complete overhaul, but these renovations are smart. You know, you're getting a video board, you're getting some light things, you can do a light show, a lot of smart things. And obviously, uh, the brick behind home plates down uh you know the sides really a smart thing to do just from a st aesthetic standpoint makes a lot of sense to me so i think this is a smart move overall and definitely needed uh with the older ballparks to keep up how they are and keep up that historical uh nostalgic reminiscence that you know you feel every time you walk in while trying to kind of bring in some of those more modern amenities which are so important in today's sports world exactly i mean it it's a stadium renovation, making it look newer, making it look nicer, keeping the historic aspects all, like you say, is the important aspect of it. And if you can do it, then definitely worth doing it. One of our biggest gripes has been, you know, particularly about uh, Jackals being the worst offender, really, is when you go to a ballpark and it's, it just lacks so much. And if you're able to go ahead and add those little amenities, like you said, it will help get people into the ballpark and... The gate revenue is how these guys make their money, concessions, merchandise. That's that's their business model. That's how they survive. So whatever helps them survive, helps keep baseball in uh, Evansville, Indiana, is always a positive there. So I, I think, agree on that front. Yep. Yeah. So I think we'll move now to the next thing on the agenda, which is a team hopping leagues. The San Rafael Pacific's two-time Pacific Association champions and founding member of said league will now leap over to the Pecos League. 
Uh, there was some bad blood apparently between uh, the Pacific's ownership and the Pacific Association. And so they looked to leave. They left the league at the conclusion of the season. And now uh, they hop over to the most likely uh, well, league in the Pecos League. So I guess that really does the death nail for the Western Association between a pandemic and not getting you know teams in that league. Who knows what's going to happen with them. But that's not what this is about. By the Pecos League, their ballpark, Albert Park, which is not the nicest thing in the world, is looking to get renovated. Uh, Andrew Dunn, the commissioner of the Pecos League, currently owns the team. However, he would sell the team back to the previous owner if the previous owner gets the renovations done. So it'd be the same conditions and everything for that. So a little bit of an odd situation there. So worth yep. discussing. Yeah, I mean, it's an odd situation. Obviously, you'd rather have, uh, you know, maybe the uh, Pacific's playing in a, a different league, maybe this Western League that might not get off the ground now. Uh, some other leagues might be uh, better for them, maybe staying in the Pacific Association. However, the Pecos League is where they've decided to go. Obviously, the Pecos League has a lot of problems, as we've pointed out time and time again on this show. And as uh, we will be pointing too- out soon, too, I just want to throw <laughs> that in there. We're going to be going in on them in just a moment, too, but. Yes, as we will again be pointing out soon, this is not a great league. It's not overly that well run of league, and it has some serious issues structurally and uh, how they treat players, things like that. So, I mean, I I think, again, this is a a move that signals more the health of the Pacific Association um, and more the kind of politics at play here than it does really anything about the Pecos League, which has struggled to keep teams and has struggled to keep uh, players happy um, in an equitable fashion. So I think you've got a lot of problems there, and I think it will be very important um, that uh, they kind of keep their eye on this as an organization moving forward and as a team, the Pacifics, that is, keep their eye on things and see how things progress in this new league because – Obviously, there's a lot of problems that continue to occur within the Pecos League itself, and you don't want that kind of bad rap, uh, especially from a team that has been kind of important to the community as this founding member of the Pacific Association. I always got problems with the, with the Pecos League. We've made no real bones about that since day one. Uh, when you have expose series ran on FS1, or when FS1 is picking your league to be the one to show how rough these indie ball guys have it, that's never really a good starting point. Also, the fact that we know you can pay to play in this league. That is not a secret at all. And the fact that there are guys here that are getting paid $50, $75 a week in this league really makes it seem like kind of an overglorified beer league at times. Not to, not to disparage the players in that league, of course. They're very talented guys, but just the way the league is ran doesn't seem to be the best and most well-ran organizations. Uh, regardless, though, like you say, it's... It's, there's always problems with them. There's always something new. And like we're going to discuss in just a couple of minutes here, they find new ways to put to give themselves bad press. They find ways. And I really want to know how bad the beef was that the guy that owns this team goes, I'd rather leave this league that we've had success in, we found success in both on and off the field, because of the beef I have with the guy running the league, that I'd go to another league that has a worse rap to it, seemingly not the same amount of success as the other league has, particularly moving guys along. I'd rather jump ship, forfeit my team, 
and do that than play ball in the other league. I want to know how bad that beef got to reach this point. Because it just, it doesn't seem to make any sense to me that now you, you had to surrender your team essentially to get renovations to an older ballpark that's really not that nice. It seems like something a high school team would play in, uh, that nobody really wanted, but they were like, oh, I'll give it to the high school. It's historic. You need to renovate that. So find a way to either put your own money into it or get, uh, public money into it, which doesn't seem likely. You got to do that in order to buy your team back from a guy that owns already half of this league. It just, it doesn't seem to make any sense to me. But this is the second Pacific Association team or city to leap over to the Pecos League. Uh, Martinez did that. They went from the Clippers to some other weird name that nobody liked. And now they're the Sturgeon. So, I mean, maybe there is problems in the Pacific Association that we are unaware of and I'd like to know from guys that played in that league are there some underlying problems that stay hidden just because they are who they are and is it really worse than the Pecos League because I mean the Pecos League is like the brown standard you don't want to be them to be in the Pecos League is really to be in the trenches so I mean uh, it just is always shaky to me for something like this. Yeah, it, it is shaky, and the Pecos League is not somewhere you want to be as a player. Um, that's where you want to be as an organization. Obviously, that doesn't mean that there aren't talented guys there, there aren't hardworking guys there, and there aren't guys who are going to move up. There's plenty of people who will move on from the Pecos League to other leagues. Um, but the issue that, again, comes up time and time again is just the treatment of the players, and just the, the equity in the league doesn't make sense when you have one guy who's owning so much of this league and so much uh, capital into this league, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense there. But um, one thing that it, it, you've touched on that really made a lot of sense to me and really struck a chord is that there has to be something going on with the Pacific Association that is so uh, you know problematic that they're switching leagues uh, like this, whether it be in Martinez um, or now uh, for the Pacifics, because it just doesn't make sense yep. to me. And I just thought of a third have... one, too, to cut you off real quick. Pittsburgh also left and was originally right. in the Pecos League, but then they got cut from the Pecos League, too. So, I mean, that's three teams, technically. Right, that's three teams, and so you've got a lot of, again, a lot of problems, a lot of people who are, uh, you know, unhappy with the Pecos League, a lot of organizations that are unhappy, excuse me, with the Pacific Association and moving into the Pecos League as a result. So the Pacific Association is clearly um, not in a good way right now, and, and the Pecos League is benefiting from that. Um, but again, I think this has more to do with the politics of whatever is going on with the Pacific Association than it does with a positive reflection upon the Pecos League. Exactly. I think this is the perfect segue into our next thing, which is Pecos League feuding with various scouting organizations. This is one that we wanted to cover last week, but we tried to get actually the head of uh, Black Sox Baseball, Joe Torreon, but he was very busy last week. And then obviously with the whole coronavirus getting bad, uh, he was trying to stick it out even longer to try and get his guys more more reps in front of scouts that were there for a very long time. I think they only just left today, so he's been trying to organize and help guys figure that out. So we're going to hopefully get him on for next week's show or in the near future to really give us more of an insight on the situation here. But the long and short of it is, uh, well, the Black Sox guys are just not allowed to play in the Pecos League anymore. Also, if you know Baseball Scouting League, which is ran by, I believe, Scott Eiselhart, 
or Eilhart. Uh, he's a coach for the Jackals. He also runs the scouting league too. Two very well-respected scouting organizations. I mean, Black Sox plays against a lot of these indie ball teams. They play against Lancaster. They play against Evansville, against Juliet, against Windy City. Established teams that are very credible. They're a traveling right. show, and they, they move guys along. They're very they're oh, yeah. very good at what they do. And same thing with baseball scouting. Like, they move their guys through very well. Both yep. very well-respected in that whole community. Absolutely, and these guys are getting blackballed. So I was, I was curious to know as to why these guys are, you know, not allowed. So, right. according to the Pecos League, the reason for why the Black Sox guys aren't allowed there, and this is stuff that's openly posted on their website, they're unapologetic about this, mind you. The Black Sox players are barred from the Pecos League because they claim that Tory himself is unprofessional and that he's a fraud, that he's a shyster. He's just soliciting their money and then does nothing for them, which couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, the guy moves plenty of guys along. I mean, just in the past week alone, he's, uh, well, he's gotten so many different guys signed. I mean, he has two or three guys signed to the Texas Airhawks in the past 10 days. So, I mean, the, the guy knows what he's doing and he, t- he gives good advice and he's a solid guy. Plus, like I said, he stuck it out for a week longer than all these other camps have in Florida, just trying to get his guys some more reps. And he spent countless hours on this too. So the guy is far from that. I also have Absolutely. some of the, some of the messages he got from various guys here, people in the league and emails and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, that is absolutely what's going on here, right? Is the, the Pecos League is unjustly uh, blackballing the Black Sox and other organizations, as you mentioned as well. Um, just seems to be something that is more of a political, uh, again, poo-poo or disagreement than anything else. Uh, not Certainly not reflecting any of these organizations' ability to connect players uh, or ability to scout, really. Just simply the Pecos League being, well, the Pecos League. All right. So I got uh, one thing that was from a little bit ago, March 8th, from the Alpine Cowboys manager to one of the Black Sox guys uh, saying that last week he got an email from the Pecos League commissioner. That would be Andrew Dunn. We mentioned his name a little bit ago, but he is the owner of five teams and the commissioner of the league. But that's kind of a given when you own half the league. That say it's that effectively, effective immediately, all Joe Torrey camp players are banned from the Pecos League. Unfortunately, according to the league, Joe has said several things to managers and to the commissioner that they felt was the cause for this outcome. Vague, so we don't really know what that is. Uh, the result of this is outside of the organization and outside of the individual organizations control there's nothing that they can be done they have to respect the decision that's made and they can't uh, allow their guys to go to camp uh which is always terrible to hear and then we also had a little bit of a text thing back and forth uh basically saying we don't want your players to come here and kind of implying that he paid the league to take his guys which again further from the truth it really couldn't be he doesn't do that he moves his guys along He's talented at getting his guy signed because he has connections with managers and scouts and invites them to the workouts, into the games to scout his players, and then his guys get signed. Uh, that's how this works. So uh, I got to I gotta be honest, you're looking at the parties involved. I'm inclined. I don't believe you. <laughs> I don't believe the Pecos League here. I think, again, this is some sort of squabble. I don't think, uh, I just don't think they really like the guy. I think they're taking it there. Uh and I hate to make an accusation like that, uh, especially when I haven't heard back from the Pecos League here. But at the same time, uh, the way they kind of worded their 
Joe Tory Black Sock warning on their website wasn't very professional either. And we'll link that in the show notes so you guys can read that if you'd like. But when you go after these established organizations, I gotta be honest, it, it doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense. And if you have a case to be made, then provide proof of that. Don't just say, uh, we're banning him. It's unprofessional. We don't like the way he does things. And I believe their, their, their logic behind unprofessional was on the, on the Black Sock Instagram page, a lot of times he'll do like an Instagram live or one of the Instagram videos on the story function where he's talking right to guys and he's getting them hyped up and, you know, he's, you know, promoting his, his organization. He's doing what, uh, what any sort of business owner should do. So I don't think they like that, but that should not at all be the cause of it. And more so, why blackball the players? That's right. like, I understand the, uh, well, if we don't, ban to the camps then then he's just going to keep doing them we're going to have to keep dealing with it but at the same time if you're blackmailing all the guys why not just have them go it's either them or us if you sign with us you're not allowed to go with them if we find you doing stuff with them then we're going to cut you and you're going to be blackballed from the league i, I don't understand why they this why, seems uh, more of a, a again i, I don't yeah. know we have heard nothing from the pickles league we'd love someone from the pickles league to reach out but in the absence of that, the reality is it just seems like a vendetta against Joe. It seems like a vendetta against the Black Sox. And it seems like something that doesn't make a whole lot of sense from a business perspective if you're the Pecos League, even if they don't like Joe, even if they don't like the way that he does business. That really doesn't matter if you're the Pecos League and one guy owns five of your teams. Really, that's the only way some kind of decree like this could happen um, when you have some, you know, one person's ego really involved there, um, kind of making these accusations uh, and somewhat unfoundedly, perhaps. And so I think that really is part of the problem. Um, is that you have so much centralized control there uh, from one person who kind of lords over the whole league that you have a serious issue on your hands when you're trying to find some type of professionality or parity within the league itself. So that's one critique I've had of the league for a very, very long time. Um, And this, again, just further proof to me that the Pecos League is not a classy organization. If the Atlantic League had a problem like this, you would definitely be sure the Atlantic League would not post it on their website. The Atlantic League would handle this in-house as professionally as possible. Same thing with the Frontier League. Same thing with the American Association. Same thing with even the Empire League would not uh, stoop to this level. That And if uh, they did post it on their website, it would be far more professional in the way it was posted. You wouldn't be making a lot of accusations saying that he's a fraud, that he's a shyster, all these things. It would just be a very formal... Due to the due to outstanding circumstances involving X group, we are not going to or permit players from said group to play in the league for the exactly. upcoming season. It would be far more professionally worded, but the fact that it just is worded like the back page of a gossip column, it it really takes away the credibility there. And again, it suggests it's exactly that it's a gossip column, right? It, it suggests that there is some type of disagreement. Uh, with Joe and the Black Sox that is simply something that doesn't really uh, exist uh, more than just some type of personal uh, or, or, again, business or political squabble between the two organizations. It doesn't seem to be anything that holds too much weight, or he would be blackballed by the entirety of independent league baseball, wouldn't you think? 
I, I always have to think that too. And see, the thing that also adds to my skepticism on the pe- uh, that the Pecos League is making or levying credible allegations is the fact that you also are blackballing the the baseball scouting league too. And again, another very very credible organization is also getting dragged through this too. I don't really understand that one either. It's like, hey, why exactly? Are you blackballing two of the largest groups here? Why don't you just go after me to prospect too and really get the trifecta? I mean, like, I don't, I don't understand why you're doing this outside of that there's just some sort of little personal vendetta, which is, if that's the case, it's horribly unprofessional. It's just not the way you run a league and you're just screwing over the players and the coaches. That's all you're really doing. And again, I mean, if something comes up and we're wrong, I'll, I'll own up to that. But I really, sure. I'm really doubtful of that. Sure. I mean, like again, we'd love to hear from Pecos League if they have a different side of the story. We'd love to hear it. But in absence of that, I mean, the reality of the situation is the Pecos League has done nothing. And it's history to show us that it is a credible professional organization. These actions don't give us any confidence that this is a professional organization. And it seems to be, again, like you're saying, multiple organizations that are professional, that have done things the right way for many, many, many years why would this be uh, a situation that would be different from any other where they would have suddenly stopped doing business the way they always have and switched to this very unprofessional lane of doing things? So I think, again, this is a problem uh, that is a current within only the Pecos League. And if the Pecos League uh, is the one's having this issue and the only ones having this issue the issue then would probably be with the pecos league and not these other organizations uh, that they are so kind of scandalously uh you know dragging their names to the mud again like you said just unpro- unprofessional on every level exactly i mean like and one one of the first things that comes up when you type in pecos league is an article dating back to december of 2014 that's the Pecos League exposed, and that's from Indie Ball Island. They're one of the larger names in the Indie Ball sphere. And it's just a whole article that goes forever and ever and ever and ever, all on just how terrible they they seem to be. I it says a lot there. Man, it's just it seems just such like such a hodgepodge league that's barely sticking around, and it's just I I got a lot of doubt about it. I got a lot of doubt about what they claim to be what they claim to be true because they like you said I, they've never done anything worth being credible and it seems like whenever they get called out on not being credible or doing something wrong the reaction is to go on the attack and go no that's totally wrong you're just wrong and just write it off without any sort of tangible defense and then they levy out like allegations that they can't back up so when you do that repeatedly it tells me well it's probably credible if you can't point to specific examples of this you know maybe comments have been made uh maybe things have been said maybe the league's unprofessionality graded on some of these guys nerves maybe players and maybe even up to joe and others where you know look when you're unprofessional for so many years it can grate on people's nerves who have to work with you consistently and when that unprofessionality kind of spills over maybe you have egos clash a little bit and these type of problems occur again nothing says to me no red flags have popped up to say that joe is doing anything that is wrong um 
probably, again, just the Pecos League, as we've said on the show before, doing things that only the Pecos League could do uh, and messing up situations with such, you know, uh, extreme blunders. But this doesn't, again, I just want to reiterate the fact that this does not mean we're not talking about the players. We're not talking exactly. about the coaches. We're talking about the organizational structure itself. The players and coaches. We're talking about the high brass. We're not talking about the guys that are going out there for their right. 64 games and 78 days schedule for $50 a week. Or Those guys, they're going out there. They're playing for the love of the game, and a lot of them are very talented. A handful of them have managed to see Major League time. So, I mean, it's clear that they're talented. It's just the brass that exists is, well, not exactly right. questionable there. at best. Exactly. So I think with that, we can kind of move over to updating our Indie Ball March Madness here in the last few minutes we have on the show this week. And then we can talk about the Sweet 16 matchups here. So we'll go back to the beginning of the week and kind of break down each of the matchups here. And at the same time, I'm going to pull up my bracket because Unlike a particular co-host of this show, I followed through with instructions and did my bracket. That's yeah. all I'm going to say. Uh, I'm under severe and heavy quarantine, and I found myself un- in an untenable situation to do the bracket. All right, so our playing game winners were Washington. They won pretty handily over Texas, as was expected, and the Road Warriors pull out a narrow victory 36 votes to 34 votes our first real um, buzzer beater of the tournament so, unbelievable i like i said though i really believed the road warriors were going to make a run i really did and that was the moment where i was like they eat by quebec i'm just saying they got a shot uh, and then as for washington's they won by about 28 votes so i mean they they had it pretty handily they nearly doubled up texas so you know yep uh, so then we moved on to our first of the round of 32. And what I thought was going to be an easy walkthrough for Sussex when they were taking on Gary. Sussex was our first real major upset. I was shocked that the minor faithful did not show up in more numbers here. But Sussex gets knocked off 34-35. That, <laughs> I was shocked there. I had Sussex going a very, very long way. And they kind of busted my bracket. <laughs> They did. They did. I mean, I was, I was shocked on that front. Here. I was shocked by that one as well. Quite frankly, I thought the, the Miners fans would be out in, in droves, but clearly uh, they're hibernating a little bit. Exactly. But uh, then we have Evansville. They walk through uh, Windy City, 70-23. to 23. New Jersey walk through Sioux Falls, 66-24. Nothing really surprising there. Florence... Just took it to task on Gateway. They both promoted this heavily, uh, but the Florence fans, they showed up in more number, 102 to 47. So uh, you could say that's a blowout. Uh, it would be an accurate statement to make. I would say that's a blowout, yes. Uh, then High Point, 75-31 over Lincoln. Then the next shocker for me came with the Chicago Dogs knocking off the uh, the New York Boulders, as, it, as they are. And see, if you're going just based off of which team would actually win, Chicago wins every time. But see, my thought was, well, you're going to have fan bias corrupt all this. And that's why I had teams like Sussex going further and the Road Warriors going further than they wound up going. I was like, ah, fans are just going to vote for the team they want. That's why they're going to go far. But people seem to be keeping with the spirit of the bracket. So I'm, I'm happily surprised about that. Although my bracket is thoroughly killed right now. So... (laughs) 
not exactly great there. So a 61-40 win for the Dogs over the Boulders there. Then we shift back to one of our play-in teams. The first of the play-in teams taking on the Long Island Ducks. And the Washington Wild Things that knock off Texas, which is what we kind of expected, knock off Long Island, and it's not even close. 93-61. to 61. I was I was surprised at that. That's just, See, that tells me that's the first one where it's like, well, you know, that's fan support at its finest right there because the Ducks are clearly the better team if oh, we're going 100%. in recent history. Anyway. Oh, 100%. As far as the, the, the confines of this tournament are concerned, 100%. The Ducks are the better team here, but they're coming out in numbers and they're supporting their team. So, I mean, hey, you can't really... You can't Cinderella. Be, exactly. There's always one. Uh, and a playing team going all the way would be something. But we shift. Yeah, you were going to say? Yeah, it would. I mean, they're, they're 2006 George Mason. Yeah, really. Or VCU, I prefer personally. But uh-huh. uh, then we got the York Revolution taking on the Somerset Patriots. Again, Somerset we thought was going to go far, and Somerset does go far. They win this one. To a final tune of sixty nine to forty two, so I, I'm not that surprised. Somerset probably is on equal footing with York as far as play goes, and then as far as fan base goes, there's just more Patriot fans. That's just the reality of the situation. Yep. Uh, then we ha- let's see. And the Road Warriors, their their Cinderella story from the thirty four seat comes to an end. The hands of St. Paul. 70 to 47. So well, it really wasn't close. And really, after the close vote against Quebec, I was like, ah, it's probably coming to an end soon. And well, it did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, the St. Paul fans, they weren't going to let that one happen on you. I know. I'm disappointed, but oh well. Uh, then our Egals, formerly the Can Am League, now the Frontier League, get knocked off 33 92 by the Southern Maryland Pinch the Blue Crabs. Now, I will say this is fan support. They were, they tossed a lot of fan support there as opposed to, to Three Rivers that threw, that threw none there. However, I really believe that there are some Atlantic League quality players on that Three Rivers team. And that if we were playing this, it wouldn't have been that close. I agree Southern Maryland would win, but I don't think it would be nearly as close. I agree on that one. All right, so then we go now to Sugarland versus Milwaukee. Sugarland takes it pretty easily. They win by 16-66-50 over Milwaukee. Uh, then we have our really the last one that was really close this round. And by really close, I mean it came down to three votes. And the Twitter poll won this one for Southern Illinois, 62-59 over Winnipeg. And that seems like a fan support deal where there's just more Frontier League people. Yep. And because Winnipeg's a really good team. Like they, they are. are, and I was kind of surprised about that. I was surprised about that as well. I again, I I had Winnipeg going very far. Uh, it's kind of a shame that they kind of got written off. But you know, hey, you know what? This is uh, this is up to the fans, not up to us. Exactly. That's why I don't vote in these. We look now to the next one, which is Fargo Moorhead versus Schaumburg. Schaumburg ninety nine over ninety nine to fifty three. Kansas City knocks off Claiborne sixty one forty three. Sioux City and Juliet ninety five fifty four victory for Sioux City, and then and probably the largest landslide of the whole tournament to this point. 
Lake Erie knocks off Lancaster 105-46, which is just ridiculous. Lancaster, technically, if you wanted to go in the spirit of this, is a better team. Fan sport-wise, Lake Erie obviously has more fans than the Amish do, but... Clearly. But, Clearly. But, man, as far as those... If those two teams played a five-game set, Lancaster would probably take three or four of them. Probably, yeah. Possibly but, uh, even five. You know. With that said, we can kind of look to some of the Sweet 16 matchups now quickly before we sign off and everything here. So we have now Washington versus Chicago, which is just a matchup I never thought was actually going to happen. And I got to say, with the support Washington's shown so far, I got to peg them to move on. It's, you know? I'm kind of hoping for it at this point. I mean, you know, we got to have Cinderella go all the way here. Uh, even if they move on, I don't see them getting past High Point because High Point has Gary. High Point should more than likely between fan sport and because I honestly believe that they are currently the best team in independent league baseball. And we may do a breakdown of them next week or the week after being that, you know, we're going to be kind of scrounging for topics here. And there's only so much you could talk about the coronavirus before people, you know, get sick of it. And, and I, I gotta say, I really love everything they're doing about their team. They have a rabid fan base. I think they're going to knock off the real cats next round. And I, I got to look to them to go to the championship on, or at least play Somerset for the championship now that uh, Sussex is gone. So, yeah, I mean, I, I could see it. Um, I think uh, Gary isn't completely out of the mix yet. And I certainly don't think Washington is out of the mix, um, but we'll have to see what happens. Exactly. So we move to the second region here. New Jersey has Somerset. This is the one that I always was like, this is going to be the best match for the tournament because we have a lot of fans from New Jersey. We have a lot of Frontier League fans and a lot of Atlantic League fans. So you're going to have fan bases competing against each other. New Jersey is, in my opinion, the best team in the Frontier League, and that puts them in the top 10 ranking-wise. And Somerset's a team that has a dynamic rotation, probably the best rotation in indie ball. But their offense is just so abysmal, and outside of Jan or Jan Hernandez, I really don't love anybody on that team. I mean, Will Kangor is nice, Paredes is nice, but that's about it. When three bats make up your your whole uh, offense, not exactly oh, yeah. a key for success. And, and I mean, again, if we're judging off of last year, going off of those two teams, I'd like New Jersey more than I like Somerset, just outright. Oh, yeah, sure. If we're going off of field of play, I like New Jersey more than I like Somerset, too. Can Am League champions. Really a high quality team. But I think Fanbooks is again going to carry this. I think Somerset is going to get dragged across the finish line. Terrible offense and all. And I do think that uh, the Jackals will unfortunately uh, wind up kind of taking a back seat here, even though they probably do have the stronger team if you're comparing the two rosters of last year. Hmm. It's going to be fun to watch either way. And then on the other side, we got Sugarland and Southern Maryland. That one's a coin flip. I think Southern Maryland's going to take it. There you got a lot of fan support. Uh, again, team-wise... Sugarland is definitely the better team, but if we're going, I really factor in the fan part, like you were just saying, and it's going to be Southern Maryland off of that. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be Southern Maryland off of that, right? I mean, Southern Maryland, really good fan support, really good social media outreach, great social media team, um, Pinch the Blue Crab, and all the rest of them. Uh, and so I think that you've really got a, a good fan support there specifically people who listen to us seem to be in tune with the Southern Maryland community. However, 
I mean, Sugarland is a big name, probably one of the biggest in the entire Atlantic League. So it wouldn't be difficult for me to see them beating Southern Maryland. But I do think if I'm a betting man, which I am, I'm going to go on Southern Maryland to win it. Yeah, I think that's a fair bet to make. So then what you say would be the winner of Somerset, New Jersey, or Southern Maryland that comes out of it and goes to the Ooh. Final Four? Because that's... Uh, I like... I, I respect Southern Maryland. I really do. I like them a lot. A lot of the guys over there we're on pretty good terms with, and we want to have a couple of those guys on, depending on how this whole Corona thing shakes out. Depends on if we go down there for the All-Star game or not. But I, I'm sorry. Somerset and New Jersey are just two titans that I just don't see them overcoming. <laughs> oh, I couldn't agree more. I, I love Southern Maryland. I love Pinch the Blue Crab. I love what they got going on on Twitter. I love the Southern Maryland Bru- Blue Crabs. Don't the Brew Crabs. That that should be their new name, the Brew that Crabs. That should be their new name, the Brew Crabs. But yeah, the Blue Crabs. That in one hand, a brew uh, in the other. <laughs> yes. The Blue Crabs, I really do like um, as an organization. However, that being said, whichever one of the two that comes from our New Jersey biased show <laughs> out of the Jackals and the Patriots is going to be the victor, in my humble opinion. I think that it'd be very difficult to overcome that slant just from our own geographic location um, and where we have talked about many times on the show. So I think it would be difficult to overcome that. However, I do think it is possible. But I, I, again, if I'm a betting man, my money is going on the Patriots probably, and then obviously if the Jackals are able to get out, that's a different scenario as well there. Mm. So we'll switch now to the other side of the bracket. We have St. Paul and Southern Illinois. Um, I, I got to be honest here. If you're just looking straight up votes, Southern Illinois, they just barely scraped by Winnipeg, and they got less votes than St. Paul did. So I got to say St. Paul, they win just looking off the fan vote here, and they also win on the field. I mean, they won the American Association, which is definitely the second best league in independent league baseball last year. A very stacked team, both this year and last year, although they still need to fill out that roster heavily, so far what they've done is very well so far in the offseason. But I, I just see them beating up on the minors here. Yeah, I see them beating up on the minors. St. Paul's got a huge fan base. Obviously, as we've talked about on the show many times, a great tradition when it comes to baseball uh, in St. Paul and really just overall a great town, a great team. I think their fans are going to come out in massive numbers as they did before, and it's going to be a rout. Uh, they're going to win pretty handily, uh, if you ask me. Mm. So then Evansville and Schaumburg's up next. I think it got to be Evansville. I mean, Schaumburg did get 99 to Evansville 70, but I still think Evansville pulls this. I'm going to differ from you here. I think Schaumburg's got some good fan support. I said it last week. If they catch fire, if you get good fan support out of them, they might be able to make a little bit of a run here. Uh, I could see the Boomers making a little bit of a run. So I'll say just off of fan support alone, uh, Schaumburg takes this one. All right. Do you, who do you see coming to the Final Four in this region between the four teams there? Um, oof, be Schaumburg or St. Paul or uh, Far? Uh, not Fargo. They just got kicked. That'd be Evansville or Southern Illinois. I'm gonna have to go with St. Paul, right? I mean, St. Paul is clearly the one that is the titan. If we're talking about the the pillars of independent league baseball, St. Paul is a name that everybody knows. 
Um, although that didn't really work out for Winnipeg, the gold eyes are certainly a Titan in the same way, but it didn't work out. But I do think St. Paul is able to make it out of this, this, uh, conference here and make it into the sweet or the, excuse me, the final four. All right. We're going to, that's going to have to watch out. And then we go to the last quadrant here. We have Florence versus KCK. So we got the T-Bones there. I think the y'alls again are going to carry this. I think they just got so much fan support behind yep. that new name. It's, it's going to carry them through. And I, I'm going to the final four. I don't think it really matters on the other side who's there. But we do have uh, Sioux City versus Lake Erie. Both getting a lot of votes. 95 for Sioux City and 105 for Lake Erie. So it, it may be closer than we think. Uh, I agree. I think Florence will take this whole uh, division here. I think the, the side of the bracket, they'll take the whole thing. Um, this section of the bracket, excuse me. I think that Florence has great fan support. I think we, again, got our answer, right? We talked about last week if it's going to be the detractors who didn't like the name that were going to come out or if the fans are going to be so energized off of the press they got from this new name that it would filter right in. But we got our answer last week. Filter right in. They're going to definitely take over uh, and win this portion of the bracket. However, I do think Lake Erie could put up kind of a fight. So if Lake Erie gets out of that matchup, I, that will be a very, very close one to watch. That could be a little bit of an upset alert if it does happen. I mean, it, it's definitely good. There's a lot that could... I don't think that this quadrant's a little bit more open than I think we want to acknowledge. And I think it's going to come down to Florence, and I think it's going to come down to Lake Erie. And at that point... Who knows? But uh, I got to side with Florence. I mean, what did, so Florence got what, 107 votes? Florence uh, got 102 votes. Like Erie had 105, and wow. Sioux City had 95. So three of the highest yeah. vote getters, three of the top five yeah. vote getters. Three of the top five vote getters. Obviously, we can say that they're not facing off one or the other. Maybe Florence is able to pull it out, like we've said. But uh, I definitely think that, again, Lake Erie, you're going to be the, maybe the highest vote getter in the whole thing. Yeah, I think it would be uh, difficult. Yeah, by, to beat. By, by two they were, or by three they yeah. were. Yeah. So difficult to beat, um, but I do think Florence has that momentum. Um, and again, Florence fans seem to be particularly energized. So that's my guess at this point, but I would be uh, not shocked if I'm proved wrong. Um, again, we'll have to just wait and see who is uh, who comes out on top there. But that kind of wraps up our summary of it. Round two will kick off when this go or not round. Oh yeah, technically round two, I guess. Uh, the Sweet Sixteen will kick off when this show goes up tomorrow, as we record it. But today, as you are listening to it, presumably, so we'll get going on that front, and then next week we'll break down the Sweet Sixteen, and then we'll only have the Elite Eight and the Final Four left, and then a championship yep. series. So yeah, and then I just want to end off today's show quickly before we do our plugs and everything with kind of a kind of a little bit of brightness in the whole pandemic darkness here. I uh, it was a couple days ago, Southern Illinois on their Facebook page posted uh, or shared a post from one of their players, a Gianfranco Wawo, and he's back in Curacao, and he was offering to, I'll just read the post directly, uh, it's Dear Elderly or People Without Transportation in Curacao who live near Bandabaya, you can WhatsApp or call me at, and I'm not going to give his number, but it's in the post, and we do link the thing, so I guess I'm kind of just adding some extra steps here to find his number, uh, to do grocery shopping or pick up medicine for you at no cost, so... 
uh, you got to appreciate how people are coming together during this time here. He's offering to go out, get stuff for people that can't get out to get that medicine, to get those groceries, to do all that. So you got to appreciate a good gesture when you see it. Absolutely. Especially in these dark times, it's hard to kind of find the light, as you were saying before. And this is a great moment uh, from a really generous player who's done a fantastic job. Uh, and we hope will you know people who need to will be able to take up uh, him take him up on that offer and really get the help that they they need in these these difficult times and hopefully um, we'll have more people who can continue to be kind of those rays of light uh, and continue to move forward and hopefully this will all be behind us soon enough uh, we'll all pull through together of course uh, here at the Indie Ball uh, Report podcast we wish everybody really uh, good health um, if you're sick a speedy recovery um, and anything like that yeah of course and so I guess with that now We'll just do our plugs and get out of here as we are running a little long here. You can find us on Instagram at Indie Ball Report. You can find my co-host Indie Ball James there. On the main Indie Ball Report channel, though, or not channel, account, you can vote for all of our March Madness matchups. You vote there daily. We put them up, and then we announce the winners from the previous day's matchups. It's a fun time. You want to participate, you could do that on that channel also, or not on that social media platform and we also post the episodes when they go up that you'll see them promoted on there we also do daily transaction updates on that platform as well you could also vote for us on twitter at indie ball pod the polls also go up there we combine the two and that's how we get our results uh, we also tweet out the links to the episode there we retweet a lot of stuff we see there too it's a both of those are the great best way to keep up to date and get a general sense of what we're going to discuss in the show. Follow there. Uh, you can also find our articles that we write. You can find uh, the bracket and probably will be the updated bracket uh, as of tomorrow on our website, www.indieballreport.com. Articles are there. Videos are there. All of our content is there as well as the show notes. Uh, so you can go there and check that out as well. Or you could go to our YouTube channel, Indie Ball Report Podcast on YouTube. All our videos are up there, and there should be a new one up there by the time we come to you next week there. Probably be coronavirus related, so you may not want to watch it because you've probably been inundated with this. But if you're bored because you're stuck in quarantine for another week, may not be a bad thing to watch. And then, yeah, we're available. The podcast is available on just about every major platform that you can find podcasts. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, all your major locations were available there. So be sure to subscribe to the show and rate and review it to help us gain some traction and get larger than life itself. So <laughs> with that being said, do we have anything else left to add? Uh, again, last thing to add. I uh, hope everyone stays safe, and we look forward to keeping you updated on the Indie Ball Report world every single week moving forward. Yep. And all I'm going to add is, again, class act to Gianfranco Wawo. Class move there. Speaks yep. very highly there. And also classy moves by St. Paul and other organizations this week that are doing some charity work and also promoting local businesses as well, saying, look, they're still open for now. Be sure to order out and get food from there and try and keep them afloat. These small businesses need your support to stay in business. So if you can, 
try and stop small businesses at least to help them keep their doors open because they are important members of the community like these independent league baseball teams as well with all that said and nothing else left to add you know the drill don't forget to play ball